a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there. Hey, Happy New Year. I'm Brian Hyde. I'm very happy you could join me for this little program. Yeah, if you're tuning in for the first time, get ready. We're in for a fun ride today. A lot of prognostication for what to expect in the coming year. That's not because I'm psychic or I know anybody who is, but I know some people who are pretty good at following trends and uh, pretty good at uh, prognosticating, you know, where we happen to be headed. And uh, there's not all bad news, so don't think it's all going to be gloom and doom. But uh, I did. I love the... uh, I love the meme that I saw yesterday. Sarah Brady, who was the mom arrested in Meridian, Idaho, back in 2020 for taking her kids to the playground. Uh, She posted a meme showing uh, Malcolm Reynolds, Captain Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly. This is from the movie Serenity. And the meme says, any New Year's resolutions? Of course, with the picture of Captain Reynolds, it says me. I aim to misbehave. (laughs) I love that. I think those are actually words to live by and hope that uh, that's something that that matters to you as well. So, crazy stuff. You know, I mean, look, we we just uh, capped off three years. Okay, we started a new year. It's been three years since the weirdness really started. And uh, to me, this is the strangest part of all. There appear to still be people who are not even suspicious that, uh, that anything seems to have gone awry or that, you know, there's, there's something unusual. Or I guess another way of putting this is I still think there are people who in their hearts are just looking for a reason to believe that, hey, you know, th- these politicians really, they mean to, to help us. They're just trying to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And besides, if they ever did anything that wasn't right, well, you know, the, the news would tell us about it. I know. I, I think about that. And how could somebody believe something like that? And I'm not sure what the answer is, but I know that I'm not among those who are looking for a reason to believe. I stopped believing in fairy tales like that a long time ago. What I do believe in, though, is truth. And I mean objective truth that there is still right and wrong, that there is a proper role for government to assume and there is an improper role. So to that end, I want to speak more to the principles of personal liberty personal conscience, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of religion, private property rights, the the majesty of the free market in solving solutions for people because it's done voluntarily. Those are the kind of things that I do believe in, that I'm willing to work for. I'm willing to get my hands dirty, you know, to, to help perpetuate those ideas. And by the way, by get my hands dirty, I mean, I'm willing to roll up my sleeves and get to work. Not to go around slitting throats or whatever it is Antifa wants to do to impose, you know, their version of a better world. Nonetheless, I thought I'd start out with an article here from Alan Stevo, who asks the question, did fake news scare you this week? Now, you don't have to have beef with the legacy media to understand they're not operating in your interest. So if fake news scared you this week, Alan Stevo has some really solid guidance on how to take back your time and in the process to take your mind back as well. He says, during my years of political involvement, I have grown expert in ways that the media lie and manipulate. 
And he says, it disgusts me to see. Now, I'm not talking about people, what people usually mean when they make statements like that. Paying close attention to the media for years or fanboying some YouTube guru, thereby learning to mimic his observations. No. He says, my experience with the evil perpetrated or perpetuated rather by the, by the media is very different. He says, I studied under true experts in the field in structured classes for many hours a week for years founded by or surrounded rather by fellow elite students while constantly doing work that forced me to use those skills day in and day out in epic jousting matches. So he says, when I turn on the TV, especially the news, it takes seconds for me to start to see the manipulation taking place. It's not a single isolated instance, but layer upon layer of carefully constructed manipulation. The trained eye knows it's no coincidence. Though he says, I did not understand him or his potential as a candidate until sometime after his June 2015 announcement, I felt great appreciation the day I heard Donald Trump first utter the words, fake news. Now, he says his ability to speak viral phrases that impart the population and impact rather the population and carry ideas through society is unparalleled in any candidate I've ever known, observed or read of. The study of the spread of viral ideas is called mimetics. The idea has the, that has the potential to go viral is called a meme. Now, this is the term often used to describe funny images found on the Internet. Those funny images are a minor subset of mimetics, but... Stop the thought to stop the thought process process rather on memes with that definition is to shortchange yourself about a truly important and significant field that likely impacts you every day of your life. Now, Alan Stevo says the courses I have studied are generally not available to the public. The combination of material I've studied in this subject and the experts I've studied with, sometimes through impromptu classes, sometimes in intermittent intervals during my nights on my weekends, and sometimes over long days for stretches at a time is a unique course of study with world-class experts unlikely to have ever been duplicated by anyone. Similar concepts are clearly studied by many in the media, just not to the level of depth I've studied them. So he says, when I watch the news, I see two things that can at times really tear at my heartstrings. Number one, how prevalent this manipulation is among virtually everyone in the media and how well-trained they are in manipulation. Number two, how effective that manipulation is in capturing the mind of almost everyone subject to it, and often without any realization that self of, or self-awareness that it's happening. So he says, let me give you a couple of examples. He says, Friday morning I spoke to one traveler. I learned about the super cyclone or cyclonorama or whatever idiotic sounding term so many Americans were convinced to memorize this past week in fear and terror. Now, he says, notice I said the super cyclone or cyclonorama, and that in response, you almost certainly bristled and obediently used the correct term you were trained by the news to, to uh, use this week. In other words, to him saying that, you went, hey, why are, you, why are you calling this out? So he says, did you convince yourself to memorize terms that the media tried pounding into your head this week? Qui bono, I'm led to ask. In other words, in whose interest? It's not likely to be in yours. Or how about this one? A single out-of-date image flashed on TV got a loved one to cancel Christmas plans. Two days after a very minor snowfall of three or four inches, the news showed an obviously out-of-date photo depicting a major interstate highway with only one lane open due to snowfall. Did the news train you to be afraid of the weather over the Christmas holiday? 
Last Christmas, they got you and your family members to avoid family because of biological nonsense. This Christmas, did they get you or your family members to avoid family because of meteorological nonsense? Lake Michigan didn't even freeze. That's how much of a non-event this weather was. It got down to zero in Chicago. Big whoop. A few inches of snow fell. Yeah, it was cold. Yeah, it snowed. Yeah, it was windy. That's called winter weather. Just like last winter and the winter before, we experienced something called cold and flu season, except they ex- they convinced you to call that by a different name, and then to act like an expert, and then to alter your behavior, and then to belittle those who wouldn't go along with your perceived expertise. As a man who has shoveled several driveways this week, in places where travel was brought to a halt, this week's winter weather was honestly nothing to write home about, and certainly nothing to move the trillion-dollar media machine into service over, unless... It was not about the weather at all. So Alan Stevo says, why else would the media speak about this weather? Well, he says, I couldn't tell you, but I know this much. Qui bono? Who benefits? Whose benefit? Not yours, not mine, not my neighbors, not my family's. His point here is very simple. Fake news is going to be fake. Nothing else should be expected of them. So as the new year approaches, he says, I would like to ask you to consider a resolution Cut the cord, throw the TV out the window, get rid of your streaming service subscriptions. He says, I hope you will take back your time and give it to more meaningful and more edifying activities. That's a simple call to action, but I think if you want to keep your sanity for this coming year, that's going to be one of the key ways you're going to do it. I'm not saying that as in, well, as if you haven't done it like me. I'm, I still struggle with this. I still spend way more time chasing what's called ephemera, trivialities, things that uh, really don't matter but are still interesting. Oh, did you hear Barbara Walters passed away? Oh, did you see Greta Thunberg owned Andrew Tate in a tweet? Wow! The bigger question, though, is does any of that stuff matter? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, the answer is of course not. So the follow-up question that I think Alan Stevo's pointing us to is, okay, if that doesn't matter, then why do we allow other people to put those ideas into our heads? If they're not the kind of things you and I would be seeking out on our own because, well, I really care about that and I wanted to know. By the way, his point about, you know, the, the bomb cyclone or whatever term they're using to describe weather, keep in mind that fear and anger are emotions that get people to click on stories. They get people to watch newscasts. As in, people are manipulated to take a bite of that juicy bait that's hanging there in front of them. Maybe it's time we reclaim some of our personal sovereignty by, oh, I don't know, refusing to take the bait? Just a thought. If you want to make this the year that you claim reclaim your mind as your own, this is a very good way to start. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I got to admit, I'm I, because we're coming off a long holiday season, particularly that week between Christmas and New Year's where every day feels like Saturday or Sunday, and we're not really sure, are we supposed to show up? Are we supposed to work? Are we, you know, nobody else? Everybody's going through the motions. And by the way, I'm eating a lot of cheese these days. You know, it's, it's just a really weird week in terms of... Uh, what, what we do with our lives. But getting back to normal, I'm feeling uh, invigorated. 
I'm feeling a sense of, okay, there, there are some things that I want to address. And I'm not just talking about, you know, there are ideas that I want to shout at you with, with urgency. Just some things that I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel more free to speak about. And, and one of those is the concerns I have about the economic outlook for 2023. I know you're like, oh, great! He said you only get two segments in, and you're going to start talking about bad news. But think about it this way: look, the the warning signs are there for anybody who's paying attention. And this may not seem like a particularly optimistic thing to share, but I believe it's really good advice. So, if you want to survive the economic uncertainty of this coming year, Daisy Luther, who blogs as the Organic Prepper has a very solid bit of advice in one word, frugality. This is how she puts it. She says, it sounds really dramatic to say there's just one way to handle a crisis, but she says, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say just that. We are looking at very hard times coming up. Heck, they've hit many of us already. And I think there's only one way to survive 2023, frugality. We have to make different choices with our money. Now, Daisy Luther says, look, many of us will be forced to make different choices. We'll be forced to do it because we won't be able to afford to make the same ones we've been making right now. We'll have to cancel some of our regular expenses. We're going to have to downsize parts of our lives. Others might be able to squeak by by spending as they have been for a little bit longer. We saw this over Christmas. A lot of people put the holiday on credit cards. They bought the same food as traditionally served, epic gifts for the entire family. They decked the halls full on. They wanted normalcy and one more good holiday for their families. Now she says, that's not a decision I'd make, but I do understand it. Change is hard. Seeing your children forced to adapt can be painful. Getting a spouse on board can be next to impossible. One way or another, though, she says, 2023 is going to look different for nearly all of us. So what's the projection? Well, Daisy Luther says, you don't need a crystal ball to know that the outlook for our economy is rather grim. First, there's inflation. Many experts expect inflation to increase in the coming years due to rising demand and the impact of government stimulus measures. The Federal Reserve predicts that inflation will remain below 2% in the near term, but could rise slightly above 2% in the long term. Now, of course, anyone who's visited a grocery store recently can attest to the fact that official inflation and the real-life effects are entirely different numbers. We've also been dealing with supply chain issues since the COVID outbreak in China in 2020. Exports dwindled, store shelves emptied, and while we've recovered to some degree, our supplies have never reached pre-pandemic levels, and prices have remained high. And it isn't just shortages causing economic issues and supply chain problems. The U.S. economy is heavily dependent on international trade, and the ongoing trade tensions with China and Russia will continue to have an impact on the economy. Now, from here, she says there are also the bubbles, several subprime lending bubbles that could potentially burst in the U.S. economy. You may actually recognize some of these. One is the auto loan bubble. The subprime auto loan market has been growing rapidly in recent years with many borrowers taking on high-risk loans with high interest rates and low credit scores. If people begin to default on these loans, it could lead to a wave of auto loan defaults and possibly a recession. Then there's the student loan bubble. Student loan debt in the U.S. has reached an all-time high with many borrowers taking on high-risk loans with high interest rates and low credit scores. If people begin to default on these loans, 
it could lead to a wave of student loan defaults and potentially a recession. Third, there's the mortgage bubble. The housing market has recovered since the last recession, but there are concerns that the subprime mortgage market could still be vulnerable to a bubble. And if people begin to default on their mortgage loans, it could lead to a wave of foreclosures and potentially a recession. So if these bubbles burst and people begin to default on their loans, it could have serious consequences for the U.S. economy. It could lead to a wave of bankruptcies and foreclosures, all which would negatively impact the housing market and the overall economy. And it could also lead to a drop in consumer spending as people struggle to pay their debts and bills. This could lead to a recession as businesses struggle to make ends meet and lay off employees. So, not only is this a threat to our overall economy, she says that it could prove to be very difficult for us on personal levels. But she reminds us this is not our first rodeo as a country. We've been through difficult times before, including very difficult times. And she lists off a few of them. The Great Depression from 1929 to 1939. A severe economic downturn that lasted for more than a decade, triggered by the stock market crash of 1929, which caused widespread panic and led to a collapse in demand and sharp contraction in economic activity. Now, the Depression was marked by high unemployment, low industrial production, and declining prices. And it had a profound impact on the United States as well as the rest of the world. Then there was the stagflation of the 1970s. The 70s were marked by a combination of high inflation and stagnant economic growth, a phenomenon known as stagflation. This was caused by a variety of factors, including rising energy prices, supply shocks, and monetary policy mistakes. The stagflation of the 1970s had a negative impact on the U.S. economy, leading to slow growth and high unemployment. This was followed by the savings and loan crisis through the 1980s and 1990s. This was a financial crisis that affected the U.S. banking industry, caused by a combination of factors including regulatory changes, economic downturns, and risky lending practices. This crisis led to the failure of hundreds of savings and loan institutions and had significant impact on the U.S. economy. And, of course, you remember the dot-com bubble, 1995 to 2000. That was a period of rapid growth into the technology and Internet sectors, followed by a sharp decline. It was characterized by the rapid rise of Internet-based companies, the overvaluation of their stocks, and a speculative frenzy that eventually led to a burst of the bubble. The dot-com bubble had a negative impact on the U.S. economy, leading to a slowdown in economic growth and a decline in the stock market. And, of course, there was the Great Recession of 2008-2009. I'm sorry, 2007-2009. to This Great Recession was a severe economic downturn that affected the global economy, including the United States. Now, it was caused by the subprime mortgage crisis, which was characterized by the widespread issuance of risky mortgages and the subsequent collapse of the housing market. The Great Recession had a significant impact on the U.S. economy, leading to high unemployment, slow economic growth, and a decline in the stock market. The common link between all these, despite leadership that may or may not have sufficed, we survived each and every one of them. We adapted. We made the choices we had to make. We got through it. So her point is, we will survive this one too. So how to adapt? Well, she says, there are big ways and small ones to adapt. The changes you make are going to depend on your situation. You'll have to adapt to your unique circumstances. If your circumstances are dire, you might be forced to make huge adjustments because there's just no alternative. The credit's gone, the money isn't there, and it won't stretch to cover newly inflated crises. Crise, crises, rather. 
Sorry, interesting Freudian slip, right? If you're in this kind of scenario, you might need to revisit your living arrangements, consider dropping down to one vehicle, or cancel extracurriculars for the kids. Others might be able to pick and choose the changes that they make. Lots of smaller cuts can be easier to handle for some people than huge dramatic cuts. Little things like dropping down to the next level of internet service, or skipping the daily drive through coffee, or swapping out your name brands for generic, they can make a difference if you don't have to overhaul your budget entirely. But she says slashing your budget one way or another is going to happen for just about everyone. But we will survive. It's what we do as human beings. We're wired to get through stuff. And her bigger point here is it doesn't have to be miserable. You just have to be willing to step up and make it happen where it's it's necessary. I think we can surprise ourselves with the resilience that we'll show. But the reason I share this with you is because... It's time to dig into that resilience. It's time to recognize what's in front of us and to steal ourselves for some of the choices we have to make. We're going to get through this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. If I haven't scared you off yet, well, I think we're in for the for the long haul here then. By the way, I want to thank MonticelloCollege.org and LifesavingFood.com for being my sponsors here on The Brian Hyde Show. If you'd like to subscribe to my show notes, it's not going to cost you a thing. All you do is go to my website, TheBrianHydeShow.com. Click on the, the subscribe button at the bottom of my show notes. You'll find all the archived show notes. So if there's past articles that you're trying to find, Pretty easy to do so. I'll just drop a copy in your email inbox each morning that I do the program. And, uh, you know, it's it's something that you can use for your advantage. I'm not saying you have to believe everything. If you agree, you know, you have to you have to agree with everything. You don't. I'm just going to share this information, what you do with it. That's entirely up to you. But I really do spend my days and my nights trying to find the best information that I can to not only help you better understand the world around us, but also to better understand what you and I can be doing as individuals to move that needle in the right direction toward greater freedom, toward greater self-sufficiency, toward a, a better, more voluntary kind of society. So, long as we're prognostic- prognosticating what to expect in the coming year, thought we might want to take a look at James Howard Kunstler's latest. This is Forecast 2023, get out of the way if you can't lend a hand. He's pretty blunt, but this is, this is good. Starts with a few quotes here that I thought were really uh, timely. First one from Miranda Devine, Divine, rather. The powerful are panicking, and so they should. Their secrets are leaking. Here's a quote from Raul Yargi Meyer. It's all just snake oil. We want to save the planet and life upon it, but we're not willing to pay the price and bear the consequences. So we make up a narrative that feels good and run with it. Here's one from Truman Verdun. 2023 could be a pivotal year for the USA if the pervasive lies can be exposed, digested, and believed. All that exposure has to happen amidst continuing boondoggles toward the Great Reset Agenda. Here's one from Chris Martinson. More borrowing only ever makes sense if you're expecting a larger economy in the future. All economic expansion is based on energy. Countries with energy can expand. Those without cannot. Oh, look, here's one from Henry Kissinger. To be an enemy enemy to America can be dangerous, but to be a friend is fatal. 
Oh, boy. Okay, one more. This is from uh, Oog Bardi. The incorrect narrative provided by the mainstream media is that climate change is our worst problem. To lessen this problem, citizens need to move quickly away from fossil fuels and transition to renewables. The real narrative is that we are running short of fossil fuels that can be profitably extracted and renewables are not adequate substitutes. However, this narrative is too worrisome for most people to handle. Now, James Howard Kunstler says it's hard to contemplate 2023 without spiraling into nausea, tachycardia, and cold sweat. But he says it is an inescapable duty here to lay out the probabilities ahead. He says, I've been doing this forecast thing for some years now, and of course I'm often wrong, so take some solace in that and relax. By the way, don't you admire the honesty? I mean, to me, this is what makes him worth considering because even if he is wrong, he's at least credible enough to say, sometimes I'm wrong. So take that for what it's worth. Maybe the new year, he says, will be all unicorns, rainbows, talking gerbils, and candied violets. 2022, he says, though, was sure a cold shower. The long emergency I talk so much about finally got up to cruising speed with the ectoplasmic Joe Biden in quotation marks, revving our country into economic, political, and cultural collapse, a hat trick of calamity, and he did it more swiftly and directly than any emperor managed in late-day Rome with policies and actions 180 degrees contra to America's public interest, cheered on by a thinking class that had obviously lost its consensual mind. Was it simply to do the opposite of what he loathed and detested Mr. Trump would do? Could it be that simple or that automatic? The thinking class's eyes have a zombified glaze these days. James Howard Kunstler says it's obvious you might agree that Joe Biden is not in charge of anything, really. He's an animatronic figure programmed to read a teleprompter and not much else. Half the time he can't even find his way off stage after doing that one trick. The clack pulling his strings may just be the crew you see around him, you know, uh... What you see is what you get. Susan Rice, Ron Klain, Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken, Victoria Newland, and company. Ms. Rice has kept herself completely hidden backstage at the White House for ten, for two years. rather. Nobody ever hears about her or sees her. Weird a little bit for the director of the Domestic Policy Council. Or, Elsie says, are there puppeteers deeper in the shadows, say, J.B.'s former boss, Barack Obama, Der Schwabenklaus and his WEF retinue? How about Bill Gates and other tech billionaires, the systemically important or systemically important bankers, George Soros, or some coven, coven rather of super elite warlocks we've never heard of? The U.S. leadership dynamic is truly mystifying and is, has been for two whole years. Will mysteries be revealed in 2023? Kunstler says, personally, I think so. Things are lining up that direction, and though who knows whether the damage can even be reversed at this point. And now, on to the shape of things to come. And from here, he talks about the economy. He says, all you can really say is that the folks running things have hijacked every module of our nation's interests and tilted them down into decadence and ruin. They've tanked whatever's left of the U.S. economy with an array of surefire, idiotic maneuvers. By spending trillions of dollars that don't exist to buy votes, they've inflated away our money's purchasing power, an Econ 101-level mistake. The Green New Deal is a swindle, an out-front, in-your-face, nefarious operation to subvert Western Civ by the World Economic Forum and its stooges laid out explicitly in its House publications. His point is simply this. There is no way we can run our society 
as currently outfitted on any combination of alternative energies. All the Greenies can really accomplish with this crusade is to destroy the complex systems we rely on faster than would happen in the normal course of things, foreclosing any chance of an orderly retreat to a plausibly downscaled arrangement for daily life. He says, we are exiting the current system anyway, like it or not, the thesis of the long emergency. Now, he goes into a great deal of... Uh, of detail on the Green New Deal and the climate change stuff. But there's more here that I wanted to touch on just because time is, is limited. Another thing that he says is that the COVID-19 story has backfired badly and hell will break loose in 2023. Amid the backdrop of a developing new economic depression, the public can no longer avoid seeing the calamity that the mRNA vaccines have instigated. Early death is the daily news is the news daily now, and from exactly the adverse effects that have been derided as conspiracy theory by public health experts since 2021. Myocarditis, blood clots, organ damage, neurological illness, unusually aggressive cancers, damaged immune systems. Meanwhile, America's public health aristocracy, Dr. Tony Fauci, Rochelle Walensky, Francis Collins, Deborah Burks, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, and many, many others will be compelled to testify under oath before newly reconstituted House committees and finally answer for all their dishonesty in the COVID-19 response saga. They lied about everything, especially the vaccines. It will go worse for them as public sentiment turns from submission to official BS to rage over a deadly fraud. And by then, the past efforts of this gang to mislead the public on Twitter and other social media will be well documented. The exposed slime trail of money and corruption between pharma and federal bureaucrats will finally make an impression on the long bamboozled nation. By the way, the mainstream media will be dragged into this morass and the public will begin to understand how the newspaper editors and TV news producers too were bought off by pharma and controlled by the national security state to pimp for the Democratic Party and globalist interests outside the USA. This exposure could be the end of the great legacy news organs, the New York Times, and the rest of their gang. Their executives will have to testify along with everyone else. Now, they may not be prosecuted in a gesture of respect for the First Amendment, but will rather suffer badly from their loss of credibility. He talks about uh, Europe in macro. One of the really interesting observations he makes here is uh, what's going to happen in Asia, and especially Chinese control over the U.S. government or Chinese influence over the U.S. government. That's one that I would be keeping a very, very close eye on as well, because it sure appears that uh, things seem to fall you know, in favor of China. Also, he says, we will have an, an appreciation for just how real the deep state is, the weaponization of a national bureaucracy against the nation itself. He says America's at a crossroads, a threshold, a tipping point. Every vital institution in the land has at least been partially wrecked, but especially the ones in charge of the rule of law, which was the best thing we had going for us. So, he says, I think we're going to probably forego the nuclear fire and just simply go through a collapse of socioeconomic organization that our governance rests on and the deep state illness with it. It'll come with hardship, but he says it will purge the poisons that have disordered us. And when we get through it, we'll make new arrangements for daily life. Now, he says, I've been calling this the long emergency for years. And now we seem to be right in the thick of it. He says, I believe in the natural process called emergence. Systems transform themselves organically from one state to another when acted on by the circumstances of time and place. 
Now, the outcome is usually a surprise, and not all surprises are bad, so adios 2022, hello little baby 2023. Lead us where you will, and let's go forward into it bravely. As Bob said so many years ago, it's all right, Ma. It's life and life only. (laughs) Again, this is James Howard Kunstler's prognostication for 2023. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to our final segment of the show. Since I'm already kind of, uh, you know, in in prognostication mode today, okay, we're trying to read the tea leaves, trying to to get the lay of the land. What exactly is going on here? What can we expect in the coming year? You know, the honest answer is, of course, we really don't know. We can take an educated guess, but nobody really knows for sure. I mean, you could read the book of Revelation and probably have about a a pretty good chance of of hitting it right, you know, because there's a lot of stuff there that seems to be, uh, I don't know, coming together nicely. Here's something, though, that I wanted to share with you just because I thought this was super interesting. And that is uh, the conspiracy theorists have been proving more reliable than their MSM detractors. In other words, the time between, well, that's just conspiracy theory, which means it's something that does not fit with the official narrative, uh, is now about six months between deny, 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 that's just a conspiracy theory, to, well, of course, everybody knew that all along. Isn't that interesting? So Ben Sellers actually lays out the top 10 conspiracy theories that will be validated in 2023. Now, are people going to step up and say, hey, bro, you were right, I'm sorry. Yeah, probably not. But I I wanted to share these conspiracy theories with you. And uh, you can recognize for yourself how many of them um, are likely in the process of being exposed right now. So this is what Ben Seller says. Here are 10 things the powers that be in Washington, D.C. have yet to cop to, but which will soon be impossible to ignore. So in no particular order, Number one, he lists the role that the intel community and the Justice Department played in fomenting violence through PSYOPs on January 6th, 2021. That's going to be exposed. Sadly, he says in their expected counter-investigation responding to the Pelosi-run January 6th committee, even House Republicans may withhold state secrets from us. But the FBI's damaging partisan conduct has generated a multitude of whistleblowing defectors who should be willing to shed light on the dubious allegations of right-wing extremism and violence at the U.S. Capitol and in the 2017 Charlottesville riot that was its dress rehearsal. Number two, the deadly impact of the COVID vaccines will become undeniable. Hey, YouTube, this is your cue to go ahead and limit my content since you guys can't handle that fact. But one day I will be vindicated and then you will rush to drown yourselves lemming-like in the sea. Okay. I got that out of my system. Actually, Ben Seller says, initially I'd considered writing about how the GOP House will expose Anthony Fauci's role in developing the COVID-19 virus, but that's already been scrutinized to death. And without any accountability to back it up, it makes no difference. And there are plenty of other COVID abuses that will keep on yielding new storylines, and none may be greater than the decision by pharmaceutical companies to suppress therapeutics and overplay the importance of their untested and experimental new vaccines. The evidence is mounting that the vaccines themselves may have been as deadly and damaging as the virus, something to which many life insurance actuaries may be able to attest. 
Whether the vaccines do indeed have nanobots that self-assemble and transmit Wi-Fi, eh, there's a lot of reason to suspect that they are harmful on some level. Number three, the scope of China's control over the U.S. government will become clearer. We already know about the various financial ties between the Biden family and the Chinese Communist Party. We know that other top leaders, including Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, are heavily invested in Chinese industry, but we've yet to fully explore the way that China-linked companies like BlackRock have also completely infiltrated the White House and are effectively writing U.S. foreign policy. Number four, he says the true nature of David DePape's relationship with Paul Pelosi will be revealed. While court hearings have kept a tight lid on the evidence in the Paul Pelosi assault case, including body cam footage, he says it will be harder for Nancy Pelosi to flex her authority after stepping down as House Speaker. It's very clear that the assailant, David DePape, is no right-wing extremist and that there's more going on than meets the eye. Number five, he says we'll find out what Trump's purloined Mar-a-Lago files really contained. Punting the DOJ probes that resulted in the unprecedented raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort to corrupt special counsel Jack Smith was a good way to keep them out of the reach of GOP oversight in the U.S. House. But eventually the clock will run out, and it will be necessary to explain why exactly this norm-violating measure was taken. Odds are it was a CYA operation by the FBI to prevent Trump from exposing the Russia hoax documents that he had already publicly declared to be declassified. Number six, we'll learn what Democrats intend to do with Joe Biden and who will be tapped to replace him. Will it be Michelle Obama, as I and others have long predicted, or could they pull out yet another unknown figure who's been carefully vetted and groomed in secret like her husband, Barack? Once the Democrats finally decide that Biden has outlasted his usefulness, the reasons for installing him in the first place may become clear. When Barack Obama was overheard telling a Democratic donor, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. There's a good chance it was a sales pitch more than a warning. Number seven, we will discover the truth about the U.S.-Ukrainian partnership to research and develop bioweapons. Now, Congress has allocated in excess of $100 billion to defend something in Ukraine. But it sure isn't democracy. While their personal investments in Burisma or in weapons manufacturers like Raytheon may be prime motivators, all indications are that the country is a rat's nest of CIA operations. Number eight, the left's plan to normalize and mainstream pedophilia will come to fruition. The initial push to sexualize and groom children in schools and on kid-friendly mediums like Disney may have fallen flat. But Ben Sellers says leftists will only redouble their efforts to voice this onto the population because the ability to control and manipulate young minds is pivotal to their long-term plans for control. By acclimating children to sex at an early age, they can add it as another weapon in their quiver, which also includes cultivating ignorance and racial grievances, so that the plebeian class is as pliable as possible. Number nine, the World Economic Forum will lead the way in trying to turn humans into glorified Matrix-style batteries. The convergence of artificial intelligence technology, the metaverse, the decline of office culture, growing clamor about digital passports and currencies, guaranteed incomes, and an ever-increasing scarcity of resources suggest that global plans to collectivize all nations under a one-world government are being gamed out as we speak. I know, this is the stuff, that, oh, you guys sound like a John Bircher. 
But if you look closely, if you read what the view, what the World Economic Forum has put out in their own promotional materials, it's very clear. This is exactly what they're, they're pushing for. And those guaranteed incomes, I know it sounds great. Well, there'll never be anybody poor again. They'll, you know, everybody will have a guaranteed income. They'll be able to get what they, it'll be a living wage, unlike the minimum wage. And, and yet nobody seems willing to take it just a few steps past that point of, wow, everybody's getting a check every month with their name on it. How great. Wow. That's really cool. You know, and it just answers so many problems except for the problem of now these people are entirely dependent upon whomever is in power. What, you don't see that problem? Okay, well, maybe it's because I'm one of those uh, misbehaving problem kids. I don't want to be dependent on them. I won't be dependent on them, which means they're going to have to push people like me out into the cold. We've already seen that they're more than willing to do that, right? Take the jab or lose your job. That was just the prequel. That was the that was the the shadow of what is coming. I'm sorry, that sounds really alarmist. But I see it as clearly as I see anything. And the fact that they're right out in the open suggesting, oh, these are going to be great things. Yes, yes, you know, the digital passports, the digital currencies. It's going to be a great thing in terms of, oh, your life is going to become very convenient in the way that any slave's life is convenient. You don't have decisions to make anymore. You don't have any property to, to take uh, ownership of or to exercise stewardship over. You just, uh, all you need to do is just what you're told and you'll have enough to, you know, log in and, you know, get on the metaverse and play your video games and, you know, smoke your pot and masturbate yourself, you know, into oblivion. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like much of a living. All right, number 10. Ben Seller says, as the relationship between big tech and sky agencies becomes clearer, we will learn that our personal devices are tracking our every move. Knowing what we know about the interest the FBI and CIA have in manipulating technology companies to perform extra-legal operations and what we know about the reprehensible virtue signaling of Google and Apple, is there really any doubt that they've empowered our intel community to conduct warrantless domestic surveillance from any device at any time and that our phones are being used to monitor us in Big Brother fashion around the clock? It's pretty true. Look at the ads that pop up when you just talk about You mention something. Yeah, I was thinking about getting some new uh, concrete siding for the house. Lo and behold, you know, watch your, uh, watch your feeds and you'll see, hey, look, here's uh, advertisements for, for siding starting to pop up. It's not a coincidence. And by the way, this doesn't mean that every conspiracy out there is true. It's just that a lot of the stuff that was easy to dismiss as conspiracy theory is in fact conspiracy fact. So if you want to, you know, put a positive spin on, well, you're just a conspiracy theorist. How about I'm a reality theorist? I notice things that I'm not supposed to, and that's why people call me a conspiracy theorist. But the reality is there's a lot of stuff that's happening out there. This is The Brian Hyde Show.